Peace the Lord. Can you all hear me okay with this? Um, I might just turn the volume up just a tad. Praise the Lord. It's good to see everyone that is here this morning. Amen. Good to be in God's house too. And uh, if you're in youth, you can head off to your youth life class now with Sister Janie over there. And if you're in Sunday school, you'll follow Sister Malay, Sister Anita over there. And for the three adults that are left, <laughs> no, it's not quite that bad. <laughs> amen. Let's have our life class in here, amen. And, uh, yeah, prep to year six the Sister Malay. Year seven to like, yeah, not sure yet, like 22, 23, 24, I don't know, something like that. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand this morning? Excuse me. And um, before we begin our life class this morning, why don't we just open up with a word of prayer this morning. Precious Jesus, Lord, we love you. We feel your presence in this place already, Lord. We're honored, Lord, to be in your house on this day, Lord God. Father, have your way today, Lord God. Let your name be exalted above all others, Lord Jesus. Let your presence uh, fill this place, Lord God. Lord, as we open up your word in life class, Lord, speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds, Lord God. Help us to become more like you today. We love you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated. What a what a lot of rain we had this morning on the way to church. Um, kind of had to swim. Yesterday it didn't rain at all until sort of late at night, which I was grateful for because yesterday we had Brother Raddick and Sister Robin's wedding, and uh, it was outside. So both Brother Raddick and I were praying that it wouldn't rain. It was funny because I was talking to Brother Alan. And uh, he told me this morning, he said, oh, I wish it rained yesterday. I was praying that it would rain. And I said to him, I said, bro, I was praying it wouldn't rain. <laughs> I'm glad we serve a God who knows how to sort things like that out. Amen. <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to continue this morning with part four of the series we've been talking about. Um, we've been talking about uh, avoiding life's potholes. And my slide's not up there because Sister Carrie's not there. That's okay. We'll deal with that. That's fine. And um, we're going to continue on with part four. And uh, actually, you know what? I don't want that cycling because that's going to be distracting. So let me just change that. <laughs> Everyone's going to be looking at all the announcements the whole time I'm teaching. Oh, here we go. Do, 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 do. This is where we need some hold music. There we go. Avoiding life's potholes. Continue on with part four, final part in the series. And uh, while I make my way up to the front, it's good to have all our visitors here as well. Uh, it's good to have Sister Glenda here visiting with us. Um, I'm still trying to convince her she needs to move back to Cairns. Um, but we'll see. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so we've been talking about King Rehoboam for the last three weeks. For those of you who don't recall, or perhaps this is your first time in life class this morning... 
King Rehoboam was King Solomon's son and King David's grandson. And when King Rehoboam took the throne, it didn't take long before everything fell apart, right? King Jeroboam took 10 of the tribes of Israel and rebelled, and Rehoboam was left with a little rump state of a couple of, a couple of the tribes of Israel. And it was quite a great fall because under his father, King Solomon, of course, Israel was one of the most powerful empires in the region, at least, if not the world at the time. Incredibly wealthy. It was the largest it had ever been. And, of course, Solomon's father, King David, with the Lord's help, had managed to win that kingdom from all the enemies that they were surrounded by. Amen. And so we've been talking about the different potholes that King Rehoboam hit, that his father and his grandfather saw and managed to avoid, amen. And if you cast your mind back, you'll remember that the first pothole was he chose heritage over relationship. Rehoboam's attitude was, well, my father was the king and my grandfather was the king, so it's my right, it's my birthright to be the king, that's who I am, amen. And, and he didn't really have a relationship with God for himself, you look at King David and the Bible, we see in the Bible that King David spoke directly to God. He had a relationship with God. King Solomon spoke directly to God. And we know King Solomon kind of messed up towards the end of his life. But for the majority of his life, you know, he wrote about how he wanted to be close to God. And, and, and he had a conversa conversations. He spoke with God. There was communication there. But Rehoboam, we don't read anywhere in the scripture where Rehoboam talked with God. There's no relationship. The man of God spoke to God and told Rehoboam what God had said, but he didn't speak to God for himself. So Rehoboam wanted to rule with his heritage rather than having a relationship with God and recognizing that it was God who gave him this kingdom, not just because he was the king's son. That was the first pothole. The second pothole that King Rehoboam hit was he chose to listen to the council of friends rather than the council of elders. He had his friends that had grown up with him, and they had a different opinion as to how Rehoboam should rule in the kingdom. They basically said, well, look, you just, you're the king. You do what you want. You tell the people you're going to tax them more. You're going to be hard. You're going to be worse than your father because they ought to serve you. You're the king. The wise elders said, no, no, you need to serve the people because if you serve them, they will love you. Amen. And we know that Rehoboam listened to the wrong advice. The problem is not in seeking advice. That wasn't Rehoboam's problem. Rehoboam's problem was the reason that he sought advice. What his young friends told him matched what was in his heart. And that's why he listened to them. Amen. And so we need to make sure we have elders who can speak into our life. That was the second pothole. The third pothole that we spoke about last week was self-confidence over God-confidence. And we talked about how King David and King Solomon, they both relied on God. You know, David wrote Psalms like, The Lord is my shield and my defense, my strong tower in a time of need. King Solomon spoke to God and said, Lord, please give me wisdom because how can I lead your people without your wisdom? So King Solomon and King David had the right approach. But you notice that Rehoboam didn't ask God's advice. He just ruled, I can do this. I should be able to do this. I'm the prince. He was removed from the turmoil of David's reign where he had to carve the kingdom out from all the enemies. So that was the, the third pothole. Rehoboam ruled in self-confidence rather than having God confidence. And today, we're going to talk about the fourth pothole this morning. 
And we're going to talk a little bit about idols this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about worship. You know, in our mind, when we think about idols, we often think about things that we see in museums, like statues made of bronze or something that might be carved. You know, we think about what we read in the Bible, how some, at some stages in their history, Israel created idols as well. We talk, think about the golden calf. We think about those kind of idols. Now, in a modern day, we do have idols as well. Things that people carve and they bow down and they worship them, amen. Now, we don't have that issue so much, amen. I don't believe there's anybody here who creates idols and worships them at home. If you do, please come see me after church. We need to have a chat, amen. But idols don't have to be a physical object. They can be things in our heart that we put above God that can become an idol if we're not careful. As a matter of fact, I would go so far to say that as soon as we place it above God, it becomes an idol in our hearts. You know, anything that we place above God is an idol. Anything we want with all of our heart is an idol. Anything that we can't stop thinking about over and over, obsessing about it, it's an idol. These things crop up in our life, amen, and, and that's what we're going to be talking about because God is a jealous God, the Bible says. We're removed a little bit from the Old Testament period where before Jesus Christ, you know, you did the wrong thing, God just... And yet we, we get all excited when we say He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His nature hasn't changed. He's still a jealous God. Amen. And so He wants our worship. He deserves our worship. Amen. And He's worthy of our worship. And so we need to make sure we don't have idols in our life. So we're going to talk this morning at Rehoboam and have a look at, look at what he did. And Rehoboam's father and Rehoboam's grandfather, they set a great example of humility. And we read it last week, Rehoboam only humbled himself when he needed God to move. Right, you remember in the story we read last week, you know, for three years Rehoboam served the Lord because the priests and the Levites had left the ten tribes of Israel and they'd all come to Jerusalem because they wanted to be where Jerusalem was, where the temple was. And for three years Rehoboam served the Lord, but then he stopped. He started ruling in self-confidence like we spoke about last week. What happened? King of Egypt came, Shishak came to attack, sent by the Lord. The Lord stirred him up, said, go attack Israel. They've walked out on me. And what happens? Rehoboam comes to God, oh God, help me, Lord, I'm in trouble now. And God's like, bro, why aren't you seeking me in the good times rather than just the bad times, right? His confidence in the wrong thing, Rehoboam's misplaced confidence, they put the kingdom of Judah on a roller coaster ride of ups and downs and ups and downs. And for the rest of the time, until Babylon came and took them away, they were up and down and up and down and up and down. Amen. And when we allow pride to come into our heart, it affects others around us. Amen. And this is where idols are born. Idols are born in the prideful places in our hearts. We begin to think, well, I don't need God anymore. I can rule by myself. I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. All of a sudden, we're creating an idol. We might as well get a little chisel, a little hammer. And maybe we're creating it in our own image, but it's an idol nevertheless. And this is what Rehoboam did. If you've got your Bibles, let's grab them. We're going to go to 1 Kings. First Kings chapter 14. 
And we're going to read from verse 21. Say amen when you're there with me. 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 21. Amen. It says this, And Rehoboam the son of Solomon reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 40 and 1 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. The writer is telling us this is an important city where Rehoboam is ruling. And his mother's name was Neymar and Ammonites. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him to jealousy. There it is. He's a jealous God. They provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed above all that their fathers had done. For they built them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also Sodomites in the land. And they did according to the abomination of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So all the things that God had judged the Canaanites for, when Israel came in and took them out to take the promised land, they were copying them. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. Amen. Now, Rehoboam's grandfather, David, he was a man after God's own heart. The Bible tells us that. In the book of Acts, he was a man after God's own heart. And we know that he was a worshiper. He was an incredible worshiper. As a matter of fact, a lot about what we know about how to worship God comes from what King David wrote in the book of Psalms. Amen. He, was, he, he wrote most of it. His, his heart burned for God. He wanted to know God above all. He wanted to be in relationship with God. He understood that the reason he was on the throne was because God put him there. And he wanted to know the God that had put him there. He said, what is man? Thou art mindful of him. And the son of man that thou... He said, why would you think of me like this, God? Who am I that you would make my house the king? And so David wanted to know God. Amen. Rehoboam's father. Solomon, he was dedicated to worship as well. And although we know that he wrestled with idolatry late in his kingdom, we also know that he constructed the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. The Bible says that when that place was finished, the presence of the Lord was so thick there that the priests could not even stand to minister in the house of the Lord. Oh, I'd love to have that in our church one day. I'd love to experience that, amen, where God's presence is just so strong. And we've had it before where we don't even get to the preaching. We just go straight to the altar call and we just worship God. You know, I, I want those kind of experiences, but that's what Solomon had in his reign. These were the kind of things that he experienced. And, and Rehoboam, he started out well too. I said this already earlier today. He started out well during the first three years of his reign. He worshipped the one true God of Israel. But somewhere... Somewhere along the way, Rehoboam's heart led him down the path of idolatry. Rehoboam's heart led him astray. And Rehoboam provoked God to jealousy. I said it before, God is a jealous God. Exodus 20 verse 5, He wants us to worship Him only to the exclusion of all others. We can only worship our God. No one else. And yet Rehoboam, he built high places. This was a common practice in pagan worship. He constructed Asherah poles, which were like totem poles that were built to worship, worship Asherah, which was a Canaanite god of fertility. Completely false. 
completely wrong and 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 they were wicked yes they're wicked and we understand that but what was it that caused Rehoboam to build that see it's not just the act that was wicked but there was wickedness in Rehoboam's heart because idols whether they are literal physical idols or idols in our mind or in our heart they start from within our heart amen the only purpose these idols were constructed were to manifest what was already in Rehoboam's spirit. It was not the fact that he constructed an idol that made him an idolater. It was the fact that his heart was already being led astray long before he took a chisel to a piece of wood to create himself his first idol. It was the heart that was the problem. And, and Rehoboam's idolatry started out as an inward rebellion, but it eventually shifted to an outward expression. And it grew like wildfire. Bible tells us that they, they had these idols, these poles on every high place, under every green tree. You couldn't walk anywhere in Israel without seeing one of these little shrines dedicated to a false god somewhere. And everybody started to get behind the king. And everybody was starting to do it. And it started to spread like wildfire. There was unrighteousness in the whole land. And they led to unrighteous actions. Sodomites began to fill the land. They began to do things that, that were not pleasing to God because they didn't care. They were too busy worshiping their own idols. The floodgates of iniquity opened. And all the abominations of the land that God had said, don't do them. I judged the Canaanites for this, began to fill the land. Where did it start? In the heart of the king. It didn't start when the first altar was constructed to a false god. It started in the heart of the king. Of course, the nation of Judah discovered far too late that when you abandon God's altar for altered worship, you go down a path and to a place that is far darker than anything you could ever imagine. And you travel down it far faster than what you could ever think. Amen. Now, the question is, is are we doing prescribed praise just because we have to, or are we doing genuine worship? Now, we might not erect actual statues like Rehoboam did, but we can still erect idols in our hearts. The heart, I've said it already, is where idolatry begins. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked. Who could know it? The answer to that is God alone. We don't even know our own hearts. Our hearts can lead us astray. The danger of idol worship is that it can take place even in the middle of praise. We tend to use the words praise and worship sort of like as synonyms, as just like sort of meaning the same thing. Well, I'm praising God. I'm worshiping God. We even use them together when we're singing songs and when we're worshiping. I praise and worship you, God. We use them together. But praise and worship are very, very different things. Amen. They are very, very different things. We can praise the Lord in church, and there's nothing wrong with praising the Lord in church. We ought to praise the Lord in church, but we can praise other things and other people as well. Amen? We can praise someone for a job that they've done well. You did a great job. 
I had people praising me yesterday. You did a great job on that ceremony, Pastor. That's praise. And that's okay. Amen. We can compliment one another. We can praise one another. Man, that basketball player, he did an amazing job. What a great job you did. Maybe we get to meet him after the game. Man, you played so well tonight. That's praise. That's praise. Praise is not something that just belongs to the divine. It's not. It's not. We can praise a great artwork. What an amazing artwork that is. Wow, it makes me feel incredible. It's praise. But worship, and, and I've taught about this before, worship is something that relates only to the divine. God doesn't care who we praise, and the devil doesn't care who we praise. What the devil wants is your worship. What the world wants is your worship because worship can only go one place. You cannot worship multiple things because one of them is going to be an idol. You can only worship God. Amen. Praise can go to anyone. The Bible tells us to give honor where honor is due. Amen. It tells us that. 1 Timothy 5.17. We're supposed to give honor where honor is due, but worship is something far deeper. And here is why. Praise does not cost you anything, but worship requires an altar. Worship is a sacrifice. If we praise God when we stand in His presence, but we do not lay our lives down on the altar and say, Jesus, I am yours, as an act of worship, we run the risk of idolatry. Because you can praise God, but not worship Him. Worship always takes place at an altar because something must be sacrificed for it to be true worship. How do we, how do, how do, we do this? How do, how, how do we praise God but not worship Him? It's quite simple. When the things, or when a, a relationship with the Lord is less important than other things in life. And, and we see it, I'm going to be really straight this morning, okay? When we put other things in this life ahead of God, we can say we're a Christian, we can praise God all we want, but when something else is in front of God, we're idolaters. When we decide, I, I'm going to earn more money, so I'm not going to come to church, I've got to earn more, that's on the path to idolatry. Oh, Pastor, you know, I've got a big football game on this Sunday. I've got to be there. Really? You've got to be there? Listen to the words. Listen to the heart. It's so important to me. It means so much to me. You know, the Northern Pride Scouts will be there, and, and, and I could get on. Oh, it's so important, but they're playing on a Sunday. I hope it's okay, Pastor. You want my honest advice? No, it's not okay. Because something is taking God's place in your life. I told you I was going to be straight. When we're studying, you know, and, and I, I'm studying, so I get it. I get it when you've got papers and exams and deadlines you've got to meet, and it's Sunday morning and it's raining, and it's like, oh, God, this paper's due today. I just, I'm just going to stay home and, and finish off my assignments and exams and and I'll, I'll, I'll do something later for the Lord. Oh, dangerous. We're saying we worship God with our mouth. But it's not true. Because worship comes from the heart. And it has to cost us something. 
it has to cost us something. There has to be a sacrifice. Amen. So then my question this morning is how do we establish a life of true worship? How do we move beyond just saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, I live for Jesus, to a life that is genuinely sacrificed in worship to God, a life where He is Lord? Here's the first one. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. I might read from verse 16. I love Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 says, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. In other words, when we worship, we have to worship something. We can't not worship. We were created to worship. We were created to serve. And either we are serving sin or we're serving God. There's no middle ground there. Amen. There's no middle ground. But God be thanked. Praise the Lord, Paul is saying. That you who were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Listen to this. Being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. See, we have this idea, and, and I think sometimes we go too far where I'm a Christian, I'm free, I can do what you're not free. You've got freedom in Jesus, but you're still his servant. You still belong to him. He still purchased you with a price. Amen. Knowing the Bible says in 1 Peter that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Amen. When we live for Jesus, when we claim to be a Christian, when we claim to be living a life of worship, we are not our own. We belong to Jesus. And so the first thing we need to do if we want to live a life of worship is understand Jesus you are my Lord what you say I will do where you want me to go I will go if I need to work there I will work there I will listen to your voice and I will obey as an act of worship amen we must really make Jesus the Lord of our life it cannot be just words we say Oh, Jesus, you're my Lord, and I love you. Do you know what that means? This is important. We have to make him the Lord of our life. Amen. We become servants of righteousness when we are made free from sin. The second thing we need to do to establish a life of true worship is we must follow holiness. We must follow holiness. Now, I want to say from the outset here that holiness does not earn us salvation. No amount of good work is enough. We do not change ourselves so we can become God's. However, 
because we are His, there ought to be some fruit that represents His life in us. Amen. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.20 that we have to glorify Him in our bodies. Amen. He is supposed to shine through us to the world so people can see there's something different about us. Amen. It's not just something that happens on the inside of the heart, but it's got to manifest itself on the outside as well. Amen. We've got to be different. We've got to be holy. Our life ought to be marked by holiness. Holiness is not a scary word. It just means separated and set apart. The example in the Old Testament. How did you know that that was someone from the tribe of Levi? How did you know it was a priest? How did you know it was a Levite? Why? They looked different to everybody else. God gave them specific instructions. This is what you have to wear. This is the things you can do. This is the things you can't do. This is what you have to do when you make a mistake. They were different from everybody else around them. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be salt and light in the world. We are called to be separated, to make a difference in this world. We're not to withdraw from the world, but we are to be different in the world. People need to see something, feel something, know there's something different about us. We must follow holiness. The second thing. Turn with me. Sorry, that was the second thing. The third thing. Let's turn to Psalm 60. 96, rather. All right, come on. I keep flicking past like 90. 96, here we go. The third thing we have to do, if we want to establish... A life of worship is we must bring an offering when we enter His presence. And I'm not talking about money, but we must bring an offering. Look at this, Psalm 96. Give unto the Lord, verse 8. The glory due unto His name. That's praise. Give unto the Lord the glory that's through His name. We are to praise the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. It says, give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. It doesn't say come into His courts just bringing glory to His name. It's very specific. Bring an offering. We cannot come into this place just for a good time. We cannot come into this place just because we want to see all our friends and our buddies and catch up and have a nice cup of coffee. We can't come into this place just because we want to sing some good songs and feel a little bit, woo, when we, when we begin to praise the Lord. No, we come into this place with a focus and a mind that says, I have come to bring an offering. I have come to lay my life down on the altar again today and every day when we wake up our attitude needs to be Lord I surrender my life to you again today as an act of worship we cannot just go from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday and expect our life to be offered to the Lord no we got to check in every day God I surrender my life to you this day your purpose is my purpose your direction is my direction your plans for me I will follow no matter what, amen, we must bring an offering whenever we enter His presence. 
We have to bring an offering whenever we enter His presence. You know, we don't sacrifice animals like they did in the Old Testament. And bless the Lord, I'm grateful for that. Because I wouldn't know how to kill a sheep. That would freak me out a little bit, quite honestly. But can you imagine if in the Old Testament someone came to the tabernacle and said, Oh, I've come to worship the Lord. The very next thing the priest would say, he'd try to look, you got, got a sheep? Got a lamb? Maybe a bullock or something? got a turtle dove, you got something there to offer to the Lord as an act of worship. No, no, I just came to see my friends. My friends were here today. You don't read of that happening in the scripture. It's true. No, they would come. And we don't offer animals, amen, but we are still required to sacrifice our lives. That's what the Lord wants, amen. The, you know, the way we dress, where we go, who we talk to, it needs to be a reflection of the God who lives within us because we are not our own. Here's another thing we need to sacrifice. We need to sacrifice our time. Sacrifice our time. Oh, pastor, do you know how long Sunday is now? It's so long. You want me to be there for prayer as well at 9.30? Really, Pastor? Hello? I'll just, I'll just look at the roof. That way I know I'm not offending anybody. <laughs> and I know today was difficult. Lots of rain. I get that. It's fine. Right? But we need to sacrifice our time. What about the prayer walk we've got coming up? We're going to go at a prayer walk. You're going to have to get up at like 5.30 in the morning to be here at 6.30. Sacrificing our time. What about those moments where God speaks to you in the still of the night? What about those moments where Brother Barna calls you at 10.30 at night? And I'm in bed. And he says, Pastor, there's someone who needs to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Pastor, can you come? Okay, I'll come. Let me just get dressed first. <laughs> Amen. And then we're going to slide down mud hills to try and get to where the water is. That was fun last night, wasn't it, Sister Rachel? <laughs> we baptized Sister Rachel last night in the name of Jesus. Someone say, praise the Lord. Amen. I got that call at 10.30 at night, and I said to Sister Janie, I said, well, Paul baptized the Philippian jailer at midnight. I still got a couple of hours till then, and I haven't been beaten tonight, so I got nothing to complain about. Amen. And so we went out there, it was raining, it was muddy, I lost my thongs, we nearly lost Sister Rachel. I baptized and I'm trying to pull her back in so she doesn't go into the deep end too far. Sacrifice our time. Sacrifice our time. Make the things of God a priority for your life. Make the things of God a priority for your family. What do you mean, son? You, you're tired. We've got to go to church. Don't you realize God's house is open? We need to be there. We need to be in His presence. We need to feel the presence of the Lord. We've got to worship Him with our life. Worship Him with our time. Amen. We have to sacrifice our talents. The abilities that God gave us were not just for our own selfish gain. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, it tells us 
that God created us in the womb with a purpose. God picked your talents and your abilities and who you are as a person and knew your entire lifespan before you ever drew your very first breath. God looked through eternity and saw you sitting here today and knew you would be here. And he knew what God would call you to do. He knew what he was going to get you to do. And so he gave you abilities and talents, and we ought not to hide them. We ought to use them for his glory. That is an act of worship. You read the parable of the talents in the Bible. One got five, one got two, and one got one. The one that had five went and made another five. He had ten, and the master said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You can rule over ten cities. The next one came. He had two. He made another two. He said, well done, now good and faithful servant. You can have four cities. It doesn't matter how many talents you've got. The answer, if you use them for his glory, is still, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. I can't play a guitar to save my life. But Brother Stan can, wherever he is. Amen. And he uses that talent for the Lord. Amen. So it doesn't matter what talents you've got. It's still well done thou good and faithful servant if you use what you've got for the kingdom of God or you can be like the guy with one who said I'm going to bury my talent in the ground I'm not going to use it I'm not going to allow it to impact anyone I'm not going to allow it to bless my master's kingdom just in case I mess it up we are so afraid of messing it up you know where that comes from pride that's where that comes from Oh, I can't do that. I might make a mistake. That's pride. That's pride. Get over it respectfully. Use your talents for the kingdom of God. Use what God has given you. You might only have one talent, but you use that talent for all you've got for the kingdom of God. Why? Because that is an act of worship. It might not feel... Let me me tell you something. I'm going to pick on Sister Di and Sister Elsie. Where are they? It might not feel like an act of worship as they're sweeping out this church. But you know what? They're using their talents for the kingdom of God. They come in there, I believe, I don't have doctrine for this. This is just my opinion. There's no scripture that will back this up. But I believe the angels gather around and go, check it out. These guys are worshiping God. It's not even Sunday. And they're here worshiping God as they sweep the church out. They might be thinking about dinner that night, family, how hot it is, how frustrated they are that pastor makes them. Hopefully not. It's still worship. Why? Because they're using their talents for the kingdom of God. It is an act of worship. We have to tear down idols in our hearts. That's the fifth thing in living a life of worship. Remember this morning, something does not need to be a physical structure to become an idol in our life. Anything we place before God is an idol in our life. Anything we place before our covenant relationship with Jesus Christ is an idol. It can be a career. It can be an education. It can be a spouse. It can be a hobby. It can be anything you want. Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, or at least he should be. Amen. And so we need to make sure, Lord, search my heart. Test my motives. Test my heart, God. Is there anything that I have put in front of you? And if there is, my Lord, find a place to hit your knees and repent. Because God needs to be 
number one in your life. Brothers and sisters, we have to recommit ourselves every day to our relationship with God. That's why I encourage people, read your Bible every day. Don't skip it. Don't miss it. Why? Because you need to hear from your master what he's directing you to do for today. You need to hear from your Lord what he would like to do, what he would speak into your life. Amen. We need to recommit to prayer. We need to recommit to fasting. We need to recommit to Bible study, to the spiritual disciplines that we are called two we have to recommit to them because that is how we live a life of worship as we all stand this morning we're winding up this life class this morning this is the end of part four I'm going to say what I said at the beginning of this Driving back from Canberra, I discovered the biggest problems with potholes is you don't see them until too late sometimes. The biggest ones and the deepest ones and the ones that seem to be to do, do all the damage. You're driving along, we're driving back from Canberra we're on the inland road and I'm paying so much attention. And even then, at least twice I hit potholes that I didn't see until too late. And you can't swerve around them. And you can't miss them. And you hit them and you bang. And, and if you're Sister Janie and me, you're like, oh, please, Jesus, don't let her cut break. Okay, it didn't break. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The problem with potholes in your life is you often don't see them until it's too late. If Rehoboam could look ahead into the future with foresight and see what would happen to the kingdom with the direction that he was taking it, I promise you he wouldn't take the direction that he had. And we often approach our Christian life with the right attitude. Lord, we want to do the right thing, but we find that we hit potholes still. And when we hit the potholes, it's okay. Right? The Bible says that we have a, a faithful one who will forgive us. He's faithful to forgive us of our sins. We can come to God and say, Lord, I messed up. You know what he says? I know. <laughs> we try and hide things from God. God, God, did you see that? Yes, I did. God knows our hearts. And that, that actually brings me comfort. Because I know when I mess up, you know, you know when a child makes a mistake. You know, I don't know, you probably all have perfect children. When mine makes a mistake and I go speak to him about it, it's like, um, maybe I did that. I'm not sure. Really? Yeah, remember banging a hole in the wall with a hammer? It's kind of an important detail. He hasn't done that, to be fair. That's just what popped into my mind. But as children, they try and hide. Lord, I don't want to get in trouble. And they know that we don't know everything. But I am glad that God knows my heart. Because the moment I mess up, I don't have to be afraid to go to Him to break the news. God, I messed up. Oh, what? Again? He already knows. He already knows. And so when we hit these potholes, we can come to Jesus and say, Lord, you saw that pothole that I just went into. God, I want to live a life of worship. God, I want to live a life of surrender to you. God, I want to follow you. And He will forgive us. And we can get back on the highway. And we can be, keep driving with Jesus. But then it's our responsibility with the Lord's help. Say, God, help me avoid these potholes. 
Help me swerve around them, Jesus. I'm committed to not hitting them again. I want to miss it, Jesus. And we can do that. We set ourselves up for the best chance of success when we live a life of worship. When God is our co-pilot and we allow Him to sit next to us and show us where to go and direct our lives and direct our paths, we can miss those potholes. Why don't we lift our hands this morning and let's begin to pray. My prayer for you this morning is that we would become better worshipers. And I'm not talking about just being better at lifting our hands and being better at saying the right words, but I mean being better at laying down our lives on the altar and saying, Jesus, I am yours completely. Whatever you want for my life, whatever you want me to give up, whatever you want me to start doing. Father, in the name of Jesus right now, hush up. Lord, I pray for my church right now. I pray for myself as well, Lord God. Lord, you see my heart, Lord God. You know my heart better than anybody else, Lord Jesus, better than me. And Lord, you know, God, that I need to worship you more as well, God. Lord, help all of us, Jesus, to become better worshipers. Help all of us, Lord, to become better at laying down our life on the altar and being willing to give up, Lord Jesus, whatever it is that you want us to give up, Lord God. And Lord, being willing to pick up whatever it is you want us to pick up, Lord God. And Lord, if that's a cross, Lord Jesus, Lord, you said, take up your cross and follow me, Lord God. Lord, that too is an act of worship, oh God. Help us, Lord, to live a life of worship, Lord, to be in your presence continually, Lord, to lay down our lives, to sacrifice it, Lord, to you every day, a fresh, a new, a continual burnt offering, if you like, to you, Jesus, is what we want to be, Lord God. Lord, I pray, God, that each person under the sound of my voice, oh Jesus, Lord, would learn that every day we need to lay our life down and say, Jesus, you're in charge, Lord God. Whatever you want me to stop doing, I'll stop doing, Lord. You saved me from a fate worse than death, Lord. You saved us, Lord, from an eternity separated from you, oh God. And so, Lord, it is our greatest honor, our highest privilege to lay down our life in worship to you. Help us, Father, to be worshipers. Help us to live a life of holiness to live a life of surrender, to live a life dedicated wholly, completely, utterly, 100% devoted to you, Lord God. Oh, it's our heart's cry, Lord God. It's our heart's cry, Lord God. We don't want to be the same, Lord. We don't want to praise you with our lips, Lord, but have our hearts far from you, oh God. Help us not to have idols in our heart, Lord God. No matter what they are, Jesus, right now, Father, speak to people's hearts, Lord. Speak to their hearts, Lord. Let them see things in their life, Lord, that have perhaps crept a little higher on the priority list than you, Lord Jesus. Help us to cast them down at your feet and repent right now, oh God. Forgive us, Jesus. Forgive us, Jesus. Restore us, Lord God, to true worship, Lord. Restore us to true worship, Lord God. Father, I pray for the rest of this service that you would have your way, Lord when we worship you in our worship service today, when we come to the altar this afternoon, Lord God, 
to worship you. Help it to be an act of worship, Lord. Not just doing it because everybody else is doing it. Not just doing it because our neighbors are doing it. But Lord, help us to worship you today. We thank you for this life class, Lord. We thank you for this series, Lord God. Have your way in our hearts, Lord. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.